Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Streamlined, state-of-the-art studios <laughs> of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled somewhere in our secret bunker in the Los Angeles area. Following program is produced by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. I am the legendary Burl Bear. I'm looking at Howard Lapidus's chair, and Howard's not there. Mark C.G. Boyer, fact checker, now knows more about Brent Turvey than Brent Turvey knows. We did some bite mark evidence on Brent. And we, he has teeth. <laughs> he has teeth, yes, we determined that. Brent Turvey, I just realized that uh, I first talked to Brent Turvey about uh, 37 years ago. That's tragic how time goes by fast when you're old and senile. Speaking of which, Howard Lapidus uh, just showed up. Ah, <laughs> uh -huh. uh, yeah, okay. Well, go ahead and start the show. Hiya, Brent, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's always a pleasure to have you up there in the Sitka. Cold, I bet, huh? Physically, I am in Sitka, Alaska right now. I am actually at home. I don't know how it happened, but I'm home for the holidays. Hey, that's amazing. Usually you're in Brazil or China or Japan or someplace like that. Well, it's usually going to be somewhere in Latin America, if not somewhere in Asia. But I, I, but Brazil, no. Brazil's too dangerous for me right now. Oh, they, they heard about you, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so I, we, I have, and I know this is off, off topic, but I was researching to find out even, you know, more dirt about you to bring up. And uh, you are undoubtedly aware that there's some weird web page somewhere where people are arguing about you. All the time. Only there's not there's not just one. Let's be honest. <laughs> okay, more than one. But I mean, these one one of those guys is really harsh, man. I mean, he's coming to you with machetes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, if you look hard enough and long enough, I'll still find somebody who doesn't like you. I guess that's the way it is. Yeah, well, yeah, I didn't have to look too uh, too hard to find that. I did discover online on one of these uh, you know blog things where they talk about you behind your back. Yeah, I found yeah. out that that not only I, me, but also Matt Allen, our producer, and the entire Outlaw Radio crew is part of the George W. Bush Saudi royal family Nazi conspiracy. <laughs> I, I was totally unaware of that until I, I read I wear it. it like a badge. Yeah, I go wear that like a badge. You know, wear her like a ski hey, mask. Hey, is, is that right? Did you, didn't you know that, Howard, that no. we're part of the George Bush Saudi royal family Nazi conspiracy? So I get to wear that badge? You get to wear that badge. I invited the guy who wrote the article to come on the show and explain it to us, and he said he, he was afraid we'd kill him. Oh, that, that would be us. That's, Gee, that's a little hard. Yes, yes, yeah, it you, is a little hard. We are the machete men. You know, uh, a few weeks ago, we uh, we were talking without a guest, just babbling away incoherently on the topic of false huh. allegations, and then I discovered that Brent Turvey, uh, who writes books, i got to warn you, ladies and gentlemen, he doesn't write books so much for the general public as he does for law enforcement. Or hence, hence, his books cost about the same as a good used Buick. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not that expensive. There are right underneath the requirement for, to get into a public library. Oh, they are. Smart thinking. 
Yeah, uh, about ninety-nine bucks, ninety-seven on the Kindle because they don't have to stock it. <laughs> That's right, and some other, some other. So it depends on the book, but they go, they're between seventy and ninety-nine bucks around that. That's and right. worth every cent if you're into that sort of stuff or you work in that field. Uh, important information. The first thing I think I read uh, by you was about uh, manipulated crime scenes where you try to make it look like something it wasn't. Crime scene staging, that's correct. Yeah, that gave me some great helpful tips. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, You're welcome. Now, you talk about, uh, in this false allegations book for law enforcement, uh, you bring up uh, something that a lot of people don't think about, uh, which is there is some sort of professional obligation. Oh, <laughs> yes, there is. There is. That's so a shock. You, first of all, let me just say, I, I, I wrote this with uh, two colleagues, Detective John Savino, retired from the Manhattan Special Victims uh, Squad in New York, NYPD, mm. and with a colleague of mine who's a forensic psychologist, Aurelio Coronado. Uh, and we have been working on this volume. Uh, Savino and I have been working on this idea for the last 10 years. Mm. The problem is the political climate has not really been right. Just... Uh, you want you want to have everything all lined up perfectly, and I think uh, they lined up for us a couple of years ago to make it work, and now it's like the most one of the most important topics nationwide. Uh, bottom line is, you have these issues. The, the real question is, what is the obligation of law enforcement when they come to a crime scene? When law enforcement respond to a crime, if they get a phone call and somebody says something happened. Their first obligation when they get to the crime scene, obviously, or are seen, is to establish, make sure everybody's safe. That's the first thing, obviously. Right out the gate, they got to make sure everybody's safe. And if anybody's there who's doing anything harmful, they got to make sure that that person is not causing any harm and, you know, maybe, maybe make an arrest, maybe detain some people and start asking questions. Because their first uh, responsibility beyond safety and securing is to determine whether or not there's been a crime that's occurred. They have that obligation. So before they do anything else, they are the ones who decide whether or not a crime has occurred. And this is why it's, such, it's so problematic uh, in the United States, because our law enforcement agents don't necessarily have the training in the law or physical evidence or even investigation to make that determination very well. Mm-hmm. So when they make it, a lot of the times they're, they're making a mistake. So this is why people get released from custody later on or why arrests are, or why prosecutions are dropped. Uh, you can have cases linger for years before the, the before the uh, charges are dropped because you know they're waiting for somebody to make a a plea or make a statement against their interests and you know they they have no idea what actually happened they just made the arrest and hope for the hope for the, <laughs> hope best. For the best right like <laughs> throw, throwing darts at a dartboard with a blindfold on it's very difficult it's very difficult so the so the, well, the long story short here is that there's an obligation at the threshold level of the crime scene to determine whether or not there actually was a crime. And if there was a crime, who's committing it? Or And th- this is where false allegations come in line, because people make complaints against other people all the time, or they make reports of crime all the time that did not happen. And it's law enforcement's obligation to do to make sure an investigation gets done to ensure that, it, that, that they have actually established that a crime's happened, and if so, who's the aggressor or who's the perpetrator. If someone has made a false report of a crime, it is a, that itself is a crime. That itself is, is a criminal act. So if you're talking, somebody says, oh, they made the false report, so we're just dropping charges. No, no, no. You're dropping charges against the person they made the allegation against, and now you're putting the cuffs on them because that's a crime. The problem is most law enforcement officers do not like to do that because it creates political problems. Well, so okay, well, let's, 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 let's hold it a second. Why, what do you mean by it creates political problems? Well, and that's a really great – here's the, here's the reality of, of these issues. 
if you have someone who is a, let's use sexual assault as an example, since that's one of the major issues we're confronting right now with false allegations in this country. Uh, there are legitimate allegations all the time, and there are false allegations all the time. It's the job of law enforcement to figure out which is the case. Now, the problem comes into play if there is too much, if it's a high-profile high case, if people have already said things publicly to put them on one side or the other, if people's careers are invested, if their reputations are invested, or if they like the victim, if they like the, part, the person making the complaint, if they like the person making the complaint more than they like the defendant, they're apt to proceed with the prosecution even if the allegation is false. Ooh, even or if they if know... Even if they know oh, yeah. it's false? Yeah, and they will actually craft the evidence to help make sure that the prosecution goes forward and hide evidence when there's evidence that's actually false. Well, that's... that's the psychology behind that. Uh, yeah. uh, this is Mark Boyer, our fact checker. Mark, what's the question again? Um, what's the psychology behind that? Okay, there's I mean, a number of reasons for doing that. First of all, one of, one of them is purely ego. You have said out loud, you think this guy is a, is a bad guy, and you are you're you're now vested in their prosecution, regardless of anything. So your so your career and your identity are on the line. A second one, which is more, way more common, is that they want to be a hero to the person who's made the report. They want to appear to be heroic. They have a they got the hero syndrome, and they don't want to be they don't want to be wrong, and they don't want their person that they're defending to be wrong. I, it's amazing to me how often this happens in a precinct. You'll have. If you have somebody who's a prostitute who comes in and looks like a homeless person and doesn't take a bath, and they make a, an allegation of sexual assault, they're not going to be believed. But if somebody comes in and they, they look nice and smell nice and, you know, they look like they may have a little bit of money or what have you, you'll have every detective in the precinct falling over themselves trying to help them and ignoring everybody else in the precinct. Hmm. It's ridiculous. It seems as <laughs> so, if they've lost track of what their job description is. Well, I think the problem is they get punished or rewarded based on different things than we think. They're not punished and rewarded based on uh, the truth-seeking or successful outcome. They're, based, they're punished and rewarded based on arrests, period. If they make an arrest, even if it's a wrongful arrest, that's tomorrow's problem. That's the DA's problem. It's the ComStat model. That's, unfortunately, that's just the reality of the world we live in. The other thing is they might not be willing to slap the cuffs on a false reporter if it will make their job working with other victims with victims advocates more difficult, I've had a detective tell me that more than once. Ah, we normally would arrest this person, but the victims advocates involved, so it's just better to let it go because we got to work with her on a bunch of other cases. So we're not going to do it, even though it's you know it's a huge crime and millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars are spent on pursuing this false allegation, and somebody's been arrested, and now the department's going to get sued. They'll just drop the other part of it if it's politically expedient. So it creates a huge problem. That does create a huge problem for people who believe in, that there's American justice. Well, I, I think there is. But the, what I always tell my students is the you are the justice. In any situation, if you're going to go forward and be part of the criminal justice system, you're the justice. The job is to have mechanisms for identifying false reports, but also to have mechanisms that means for identifying actual reports, for legitimate and genuine reports. And there are plenty of those as well. So that's not the problem. The problem isn't that there's more of one than the other. The problem is that we go in thinking we know the answer before we've done the investigation. That's the, that's problem. the problem. I've seen that in, in murder investigations. Yep. Where they decide right. who did it before they've even looked at the evidence. Right. And, we, and in this textbook, we talk about false allegations of all types of crimes. It's not just sexual assault. We talk about false allegations involving uh, 911 calls. That's a big one. People using 911 as their own personal uh, place to vent their spleen or to, like I had a, there's a case in the book of a, and this is very common, 
of a young lady whose husband or boyfriend is cheating on them or has left them, and they go to a hotel. They know that they're at a hotel with their new lover, so they just send SWAT there uh, repeatedly. <laughs> they call 911 and say, oh, there's somebody's being held hostage. And, and I, there was a case where one lady did it five or six times in a night. Is there... Is there... Is Howard has a question. It's Howard Lupitas. Is there no way of vetting that before somebody gets in the fire? Uh, no, see, this is the fun part. Uh, the law enforcement is supposed to have protocols and procedures in place to verify these things. But as you well know, even in, even in uh, raids with warrants, they get the address wrong. Some people are supposed to check who don't check. And so the answer, the answer to your question is they're supposed to, and they're supposed to follow their own protocols and procedures. But if you go to any law enforcement agency, it's very often found that the protocols and procedures manual is a dusty thing that hasn't been updated for 20 years and nobody's read. So it's, you know, it, depends, it depends entirely on the character and the ability and the temperament of law enforcement at a given agency. So it's just Every that, agency is different. It's that, that much more fun to throw the siren on and just go over there. Yeah, well, that's the thing. They, this is what they live for. Too often they're trained to think like, oh, we are a tactical response unit, like a SEAL Team 6 for, you know, uh, Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> and they're going. <laughs> and they're going, and people are getting shot because that's what they've been training for. So that, that's, that mindset is the first problem. You gotta, your law enforcement needs to be in the peacekeeping mentality and the peace officer mentality, not the warrior mentality. Uh, next one we talk about is false allegations of Medicaid and Medicare fraud, false reports of theft, and that's usually like insurance jobs or for revenge or, you know, that kind of thing, or identity theft. False allegations in divorce and custody proceedings, which includes uh, child abuse. Oh, that's a massive character. one. Massive. That's huge. Oh, my God. It's so big. I had a case where there's a case in here that we talk about in this book where a young lady, for um, uh, she was abusing her child and trying to get the attention of her husband who had left her, and eventually, and eventually that wasn't working. So what did she do? She took the kid, drove the kid down the highway, staged a crash, set the whole car on fire, burned the kid to death in the car, and claimed that she was run off the road in an accident to get the sympathy of the guy. Oh, jeez. Killed their child, staged an accident, the whole, the whole thing. She I wouldn't date her. I'm, I'm not dating yeah. her. No. Well... <laughs> The problem is people... Or maybe you would. This is a really interesting question, and that is, uh, who is a person really? Do we ever really get to know another person? And what I have found is until you've reached moments of of absolute crisis where people have lost everything, you don't know who they are. You don't know what peeling back all those layers and taking away all those anchor points will reveal in a person. And that's... It's difficult. So when, when that happens to a person... Uh, they go to a different level. They can go to a level that you've never seen before. So you don't really know a person until you've walked through fire with them a little bit. Mm. Um, we also have lots of cases of false reports of abduction, uh, a, a ton of cases involving uh, hate crimes. And then finally, we talk about uh, vulnerable groups. And these vulnerable groups include uni- university students, sex workers, addicts, public figures, and law enforcement. These are groups that are well-known for making false allegations of crimes against them, but they're also well-known equally for having false allegations made uh, against them. So both cuts both ways. So they're both known for making false allegations, and they're known for having false allegations made against them, those special populations. So it, it's a very interesting and political, but also scientific issue. We can, we have, we have the tools to vet to, to uh, sort these things out. And well, what them. what are the tools? What are the things that the law enforcement, if they're doing things by the book, if they're you know supposed to check this stuff out? What are the First red flags? They have to read. They have to read the book. Yeah. <laughs> so what I mean is, they have to. They have their own policies and procedures in place that should require them to do this, uh, and it should be pretty straightforward. The problem is they oh, they don't follow their own practice standards and protocols, They and they get more interested in protecting themselves and their ego than they do with finding out the truth. And what I, here's, the, here's the big secret. Law enforcement officers 
by and large, and too many of them, have an idea that they are a hero and they want to be a hero to somebody else. They have that hero syndrome. That's what they need more than anything else. And the problem is, once you get into law enforcement, you realize you're not going to be. But you create this mythos about yourself that you sell to other people who don't know what you do on a day-to-day basis. So when you find the opportunity to help somebody in a way that makes you look really good, uh, you're going to do it because all the other missed opportunities that you've had. Boring, yeah. Yeah, it's, that's, that's the reality of it. So once you've had that opportunity, you've gone down the rabbit hole far enough, you're not going to really be willing to look back. And it's this need to create this identity of heroism and, and authority and power that is driving the inability of them to recognize the false reports when they have them. Or, and on the other hand, and I think that I can hear Savino in the back of my head be saying, well, that's part of it. The other part, more often than not, is apathy. They have checked out of their job. They, they're, they're going from nine to five. They don't have the tools, and they're really not interested. They don't even want to help. They don't, they don't want to help legitimate victims, let alone uh, fake victims. The problem is fake victims tend to uh, package things for you very well and help you, uh, help you with your case a lot better than... Because uh, <laughs> they've got their victims. lies down pat. they got their lies down pat, exactly. And they bring it to you wrapped up in a bow, so it's easier for the lazy detective to do things. Um, but in terms of in terms of what are you, what it is you're supposed to do, the first thing is you're supposed to have your objectivity in check. You're supposed to be investigating your case. You make an investigation, you run the investigation before you make the arrest. And the problem is, you can make an arrest based on someone's statement. That's the very first threshold problem that we have. I see. Based on someone's statement, you can make an arrest. Instead of it being a situation where you're required to do an investigation first. So somebody can be arrested and charged and even convicted based on a statement of a complaining witness without there ever being any real investigation. What, what is that statement? How, how deep is that statement? What, what do they say? What would the statement be? Have to be. It's, it's, uh, here, here's how it works. Once the statement's on the record, that statement is now evidence. And if a, if a judge or a court accepts that as evidence, then that goes forward as the truth. And anything that gets in the way of it is a problem. I'll tell you a really fun fact. In sex crimes investigation, there are many jurisdictions where if you have a statement from a victim, and it, it's a statement of that they've been sexually assaulted by a particular person, you can have all the forensic evidence in the world that they're lying, and the judge will declare that it's inadmissible. Why? Rape shield. They'll say anything that suggests that the victim is lying is an attack on their character. You can't attack their character, therefore that's not admissible. Even Ooh. if it's the direct physical evidence that they're making. <laughs> this false makes statement. me crazy, Brent. I was the victim of a false allegation. I they didn't take, it, didn't take it to the cops, just to my employer. <laughs> of course. And the employer doesn't have the same requirements as you do. Or they, or in the university campus, they may actually just take it to the student, uh, the student senate, or take it to the administration. They may do an internal investigation without even talking to the person who the accusation is made against, and they can remove them from the school. Well, that's no, there's them, no can, due process there whatsoever. No due process. That's right. So when you have an administrative investigation that's for an employer, an entity, or a school, there isn't going to necessarily be the same due process as there would be in a in a court system. And the only due process that is that exists in a in a courtroom proceeding is the due process that is preserved by the judge. So if the judge has an idea of what they want to have happen and it involves the defendant being absolutely convicted, they're going to make sure that happens. And a lot, again, a lot of them are former prosecutors anyway, so they're there to protect the, the culture of law enforcement. They're not there to make sure that justice happens. That's, a, that's another big, huge problem. But there are... The reality is, there, again, there, there are things you're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to first do the investigation before they make the arrest. And that, to me, that is the biggest one, actually doing the investigation, all right? I, I, I find that's the, the biggest problem. They put the cart before the horse, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> the next thing is, 
there are these investigative red flags, and the, the, the big ones are, first of all, we'll just walk through them because they're so simple. First of all, is there a motive for somebody to be making a false report? Uh, if you don't have clear evidence that the crime actually occurred and that the person has a motive for making a false report, there's reason for skepticism, uh, especially, um, well, especially if it involves money or, or, or um, jealousy or something like that. The next thing is, do they have a history of false reporting? You've got to run a person through the, through the CJ. Every single person who makes a complaint of a crime and every single person who's accused of a crime, you've got to check and see what their criminal history is. You've got to know what it is. You've got to know, is this person dangerous? Are they violent? Are they mentally ill? Have they had mental health, health holds? Have they been convicted of making false allegations in the past? A lot of times you'll have people who make false allegations of crime. They will get in big trouble for it. Then they will just move and change their move states and change their name so that they can't be tracked for it. Well, they like doing it. It's like a power trip. Oh, yeah. And especially if, if it's a woman who's gotten married, then their name is automatically changed, so it's all good. They, they can, uh, they can, the, the record is kind of concealed in that way. Mm. But you have to check their court record. You have an obligation to do that to make sure you know who you're dealing with. The next thing is, do they have a history of mental illness? Is this somebody who is, does not have a clear understanding of reality? Are they on psychotropic medication? Are they someone who has... Uh, you know, been institutionalized and, and again, go back to have they made these kind of allegations in the past. Again, this comes back to this basic investigative procedure. If you're not doing this on a regular basis with every case you've got, then you really aren't doing a very good job doing your investigation. The next thing is, has there been some sort of jealousy or recent breakup? And then are there financial problems? And then there are gambling problems or addictions, history of drug and alcohol addiction, history of any other uh, drug and alcohol abuse or some sort of, or, or the big one, which is they're, they're forced to report by uh, a guardian or a, uh, a marital partner. They're being forced to report. They don't want to report this crime, but somebody's making them do it. Mm. And then uh, well, like, also, whoa, 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 back up again. Yeah. Who would be making them do it? Help me out here. No, very simple. If you've got a minor, it's a parent doing it. They, they, they've, they've, let's say you've got a kid who was somewhere they weren't supposed to be, and they claim they come home late, or they were, they were gone for a weekend, and they don't want to have to explain themselves. So they say, I was kidnapped, or I was sexually assaulted. And it's not true, but it gets them out of being in trouble with their parents. Now, their parents are like, well, we're going to the police. They're like, no, 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 I don't want to go. But the parents make them report the crime. See what I'm saying? And then the same thing can I've had I've had recent cases where you have young ladies who claim they were sexually assaulted when they weren't. And it's very obvious, but it's done entirely because they're supposed to be with their husband or they're supposed to be with their boyfriend, and the boyfriend is forcing them to report this crime that they were just using to get out of being in trouble. It happens a lot with addicts as well, people who are uh, again, how do in, a, in a group I, home or a halfway home. They make a complaint of a, an allegation of being kidnapped or sexually assaulted or kidnapped and forced to drink or kidnapped and forced to take the drugs they're not allowed to take. And so this is actually a crime they're reporting, and the person who's in charge of them reports the crime. How do you force somebody to, again, I'm not getting... Some well, of the well, stuff doesn't make sense, you know. Because the consequences for not reporting are greater than, the, than anything else. This is the, 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 the I give you an example. We'll walk back through the example I said. Let's say you've got someone, a girl who's 15 years old. She's supposed to be home at 11 o'clock at night on Fridays. She doesn't come home till Sunday morning at 11:30. <laughs> okay, yeah. where has she been for all this time? Well, shit. She was with her boyfriend. She can't. She doesn't want the parents to know she's got an overage boyfriend, so she lies, and she doesn't want to know she was out drinking, so she lies. She says, uh, "I got kidnapped and I was sexually assaulted." even though that's not what she was doing. And to keep, to maintain the integrity of that lie, she has to go along with the reporting. And she'll do it half-heartedly or not willing, wanting to do it. Then once it's this, this, what we call the snowball effect, once it starts picking up speed, they're kind of, they're in it. They're in it and they're pot committed. 
And that's how people are. People are very much like that. Okay. Uh, they don't back down once they're cornered like that. And the same thing is, the same thing will be true if someone's got, if they're, in a, if they're a grown up and they're like, say, we had a case of a, a not, not five, six years ago, of a mayor in one town and she was, had a huge drinking problem and she also had a huge infidelity problem and she was, she had a lost weekend. And so she claimed she was kidnapped. You know, I mean, it's not a, it's not unique to kids. We have, we have people who are trying to conceal their behavior all the time. Amy Simple McPherson. What they're concealing is more important than the, the lie that they're telling. Amazing, and this happens. Yeah. This happens. Well, even in well, Cook County, uh, a thousand false confessions a month, <laughs> minimum. Yeah. I mean, people here's confess a, here's to things. I would put it to you. Once you start thinking about the issue of false allegations and false, uh, false reporting of crime, you will start seeing it everywhere because you weren't paying attention before because you thought it didn't happen. Now, once we've had this conversation, you're like, you're going to see it. Oh, my God, every day there's a new case that comes out in your area, every single day. If you talk to law enforcement, the numbers that they will give you, they will not give you an official number, but the numbers that you see are about, if you, if you actually have a conversation with them, it's going to be about between 25 and 30% minimum. That's where they're at. Yeah, I got uh, I got figures out of Denver, Colorado. They were higher about twice as high as that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's the the the, the kid that we we go through all the statistics in the textbook. But the statistics to me are irrelevant. Even if it's one in ten, it doesn't matter because that that was the old statistic. The FBI when they researched this kind of stuff, when they documented it, this is about one in ten or eight and nine percent. That's great. So what that means is one in ten times you're being lied to as a police officer when someone's reporting a crime. Therefore, you have to have mechanisms in place to filter out those cases. And I wanted to say one of the last ones is, um, let's see, Doug Rehan, I want to make sure I've got this all here. One of the big ones is inconsistencies. If somebody's telling you a story and it doesn't match with the evidence, even if they're telling the truth about the sexual assault, what they've told you is not true. Let me give you an example. Someone claims that they were in their home and then somebody broke in through a window and sexually assaulted them and then fled through the window, right? Sounds pretty straightforward and easy to find out. Now, do you take that statement and find the person they're accusing and arrest them, or do you go to their home and do the investigation? Nine times out of ten, police do not even go to the victim's uh, in a sexual assault or a burglary. They don't even respond to the, to the location. They certainly don't. Well, what if they went there and found that the window the guy supposedly came in through is one of those is painted shut and you can't open it? Exactly. That's exactly what happens. It happens a lot. Also, not just painted shut, but you can have, like, uh, most of us have things on our windows that would be knocked down if they were opened up, like plants, or in your case, I'm sure there are books, just like yes. mine. I've got, <laughs> I, got, I have mugs full of pens, you know, all kinds of stuff. If you open a window and came through, all that stuff would be on the floor. You know, it would be dumped over. Or in other cases, I've seen where you just look at the glass. The glass is broken, but it's broken from the outside in instead of from the inside out, or the inside out from the outside in. So the glass is on the floor inside the home, or on the outside of the home in front, which if somebody was breaking in, the glass would be inside the home, right. uh, falling down, falling forward inside of the house. And it's just these basic things that you, as a detective, should learn to look for, but people don't, because they really don't know how to investigate crime, and they really don't want to. They got the statement, and if the statement makes for an easy arrest, well, then they got their arrest, so it's all good. And they're not even thinking like that. They, they, you've, that is the problem here. Uh, mindset and training. They're not thinking like detectives. They're thinking like they want to be heroes. Uh, Mark, uh, Mark Boyer has a question for you. Go ahead, Mark. All right. Um, Go ahead. I've mentioned this on the show a number of times, and it still boggles my mind. We're talking yeah. about 2017 and modern law enforcement not following standard police procedures. One of uh, Earl and I's Get right out of the microphone there. is uh, them about the giant ants. And in that movie... They follow police procedures. They don't damage the crime scene. 
they don't touch the evidence, they call for fingerprinting and I don't understand in 1954 they knew this material. Why 50 years later we still don't? Well, back in the old days, uh, they did it better, I think. <laughs> because yeah. they didn't, they had Even less. giant ants and all, they did it better. <laughs> yeah, they did it way better back in the old days. They All they had was the written policies and procedures. All they had was the photographs they could take. They didn't have digital photographs, and they and they didn't have video. So they were a lot more circumscribed, and the, the crime scene sketches were way better and way more professional. And the interviews that they did with people were much more detailed. But also what this meant was if anybody was evaluating the case, it was much easier to determine if they were crafting the records and avoiding certain things. I, when I get cold cases or cases from the 70s and the 80s, I'm very happy because that's when the best work was being done in forensic science. Now you have people who are who think they're forensic people, and they're just police officers who graduate the academy. They've never, they don't know anything about physical evidence. They don't know how to collect or package it. And those are the guys responding to crime scenes. And even the ones that do go to the crime scene training, they matriculate up and out. The turnover rate in law enforcement is another issue. You're not having you don't have this ah. steady body of people who are who are building a profession. Kind of like our state department right now. <laughs> why why the why the why the big turnover? Well, first of all, the problem is lack of pay. Let's just be honest. They want to go where they get better pay and better benefits. Part that's part of the uh, part of the thing of being working for the government used to be that you'd get a good benefit and retirement package, and you'd have stable pay. That kind of job is that that's one of the allures of the job, or it should be. That no longer is the case. You have police department. You have, you have uh, excuse me, cities that are going bankrupt, pension funds that are going bankrupt. It's it's not even funny. So that kind of security is gone. The second thing is that uh, because of the shrinking budgets of most municipalities, they're hiring the cast-offs from other departments. It costs about thirty to forty to $50,000, depending on where you go, to train a police officer. If you've got an officer coming in from another state who's already got their credential, you don't have to train them. So what that means is if some officer has been allowed to resign for misconduct or they're dumb or they're criminal or whatever, and that is not somehow they're just one step away from an internal affairs uh, you know, investigation or, or from, a, uh, from a grand jury investigation and they resign and are allowed to leave, that person then goes and becomes a police officer somewhere else in some other state with a budget problem. So, you, so that creates a culture of law enforcement that is protecting and enabling criminality. And that is not attractive to the right people. So not only are you encouraging people who with criminal records or with criminal backgrounds and misconduct backgrounds to stay in law enforcement, that practice, that creation of that culture is keeping people in it who otherwise, uh, people with integrity and training and ability, they're not going to want to stick around for that. Yeah, they get, they get depressed by the lack of ethics depressed. around them. Well, not just depressed. They get isolated. They get alone. They get attacked. They get... They don't want any part of that. An ethical person wants no part of a culture like that. So what you want to do if you're an ethical law enforcement officer, you've got to find, you've got to transfer around until you find a good unit with a good supervisor who's not, who's going to be no nonsense and let you do your job. Well, and the that other, is rare as hen's teeth. Now, the, uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up here, and I'm, I'm sure you probably saw the the article. It was uh, about a year ago in uh, one of those, you know, police journal magazines or whatever. Sure. About the... Uh, the ethical violations that are so common, such as testifying, as they call it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that, and that, that's, by the way, that's a law enforcement word. That comes from the Mullen Report in the 70s. Yeah. That's what the police trainers called it. They, it's not something that the defense community came up with. No. The law, the law enforcement community came up with that to use it in their actual training of law enforcement officers. They called it testifying. So that's not our word. 
Just to be very clear. Yeah. That's not a scientific word. That's the police officer's word for their own stuff. <laughs> and that's well documented. And they feel it's it's uh, it's justified for, it's for a good cause. They're telling lies on the stand or fabricating evidence or whatever. That they've. It's like that movie with Orson Welles, Touch of Evil. You know? Right. And he's going to make sure the guy's convicted even if he has to plant the evidence. I want to tell you that what that, that is the best version of that. That is the hopeful. The, it's the optimistic version that says, oh, we're lying to keep the bad guys in jail. Actually, that's not what most of the lying is done for. Most of the lying is not done to keep bad guys in jail, but to conceal the mistakes, errors, and incompetence of law enforcement. It's to protect other officers who are doing dumb or bad things. That's where most of it comes from, not from putting away bad guys. If you, can, if you want to put away the bad guys, just work your case. Work your case, work the evidence get the education, get the training, it'll all work out. But if you don't do that, then you're constantly having to cover up for your own negligence. And that's where most of it comes from. It's a tragic situation because we rely on law enforcement and law enforcement... Uh, yeah. Well-trained officers and good cops are a blessing to a community. And yeah, I've talked are. to so many, and as you may know, my most uh, recent book was about the uh, Michael Dowd and Ken Urell, written oh, with Ken. Betrayal in Blue. Uh, yeah, Betrayal in Blue, buy several copies Perfect. today. Uh, and the whole culture, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. they, let, they let those two guys keep going because they didn't yeah. want a scandal. That's so, right, <laughs> because it's purely for political reasons, exactly. It's just, uh, that's, that's the problem. We have to we have to put law, uh, peacekeeping, uh, and uh, community safety and uh, community standards and and uh, the safety of 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 our of the community above all other considerations. And that's what that's what a real hero does. And they don't need to hear that they're a hero. They know that what they're doing is good, and people will treat them as such. But when you're somebody who needs to be called a hero, and nobody's saying that because you're too unintelligent or too poorly trained or too egotistical to be called that on your own. <laughs> You're going to start you know, inventing stuff. Happen. Well, they got the situation like in Canada with uh, the, the pig farm uh, murderer guy where, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. where law enforcement knew everything, but they, yeah. they also knew they didn't have the training, they didn't yep. have the budget. So right. we won't do anything. <laughs> right, and that I, I work cases. For example, I had a case in my hometown where there was a person on an island, and he was sexually assaulting young girls, and he was taking them out every weekend to do these things to them and, and videotape them and that sort of thing. Long story short, when they finally got the complaint, they did the investigation. They talked to the girls. They went out to the island one time, and that was it. And they left all this evidence behind, and all the evidence uh, that they collected, they didn't test because they thought it would be too expensive. Yeah. And this is yeah. like sex toys and things like that. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. So what they did was this guy was creating, manufacturing pornography to sell to people. And I think what they found is that the people that he was selling to, they didn't want to know about that part. They no. just wanted to go after him for the sexual assault part. And they ignored the selling part, which is all the customers. And I think that was the political part. They didn't want to find out who actually was buying it. Jeez. I think the, the corruption, uh, of course, this is, I've, as I've written, and you've probably written as well, sure. it's not corruption unless it's illegal. Uh, <laughs> right, exactly. And that's, that is legally the bottom line. If it's not illegal, it's not corruption. It can be morally and ethically repulsive. Exactly, but it's not corruption, right? It's not corruption. It's something else. <laughs> it's like they yeah. say. So getting, getting back to the issue of false reporting, you have to have a law enforcement agency that's thinking in terms of how to establish the elements of a crime that has the that understands that, 
and then understands how to do an investigation to make that work, to put, to put those pieces in place to make the arrest. The problem is the law enforcement community that we have right now is not properly trained to think like that. They think in terms of, well, I can make an arrest if I have a good statement. And the only way to protect that statement is to not do the actual investigation. We get the statement, we ignore the evidence, we don't serve warrants, we don't take photos, we just do whatever we can. And if we get text messages from the victim where it makes it clear that she's making a false report or there's social media activity that we're making clear she's making a false report, we're just going to ignore that and hope the prosecution goes through and cross our fingers. And that is where we're at. I have worked in multiple cases where this has been the case, and where, where in fact, I created, I worked in one case uh, in Oregon where I created a, a, uh, a line of questioning for the police officers and the detectives and knew that this would elicit whether or not they were actually making, mm -hmm. whether or not there was actually a false report. You had a state agency who had declared a false report and unfounded, and you had a police agency that had decided to move forward despite. And it was because one of the victims, the victims, the victim in the case was actually a, a, a detective's daughter. Oh, that so makes all the difference in the world. Case. Now, there's, yeah. a, there's another aspect of this, and I'm, I'm sure you guys probably have your own name for it or how you do it. Uh, I tell people, I said, please don't lie to me because I find it professionally offensive. I tell lies for a living. I write fiction. <laughs> I write fiction. I also write yeah, true crime, but I write yeah. fiction. And fiction yeah. is you're creating a false story, a false narrative from beginning okay. to end. Now, I find, I mean, you wouldn't go try to repair a Mercedes if you hadn't had any training or, <laughs> you know, anything like that. Yeah. But when people attempt to create perfectly crafted fiction, off the yep. top of their head, it cannot yep. stand one well-placed question without falling apart. Because there, there's, This is such a great way of putting it. And by the way, the guy who wrote about that first is a guy named Hans Gross who wrote about it in the 1800s. It's called uh, The Defects of the Situation. Once you examine a case, if it's a false reporter case, somebody's made a false statement, it's not going to survive the scrutiny of an actual investigation because they will not know how to properly relay the defects of the situation because they don't understand crime. Right. One of the one of my one of the fun ones I'm sure you've encountered this many times, bro, is um you know a body. If you've got a dead body that's full of blood and leaking blood everywhere, how do you get it out of a room into your vehicle? It's not you in, in most TV shows or movies they just cut to it. You know, it's like oh it's easy we just move this thing and it's somebody by themselves. That's not how it works. A body is heavy, it's unwieldy, it's a big mess, there's blood leaking everywhere, it's, it's a problem. But if you've never done that, staging that is going to be very difficult because you're not going to know what you're right. looking for. The real problem is most of the investigators don't have any of the experience in this area either. So you have, you're going to have no problem staging it to them because they're not going to know what a real one looks like. <laughs> That's the problem that I run into. Now, the other thing that uh, gets utilized, and, and I've been asked to do this a couple of times, and I've passed on it because I figure some uh, prosecutor or defense attorney will you know, go out ask me you know, yeah. lurid questions about my past, <laughs> you know, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that is, if if you are a trained writer yeah. and you're reading a de deposition, you can yeah. see where the lies start. There you, should is, be able, you should be able to do that if you're actually a, 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 an invest, a real investor. Right, exactly. Because it tends to, I mean, it just leaps right out at you. Uh, we're going to take a 60-second break uh, to do some forensic investigation of our financial well-being. And <laughs> we'll be right back in 60 seconds with Brent Turvey on True Crime Uncensored. No! 
Now you can take your smoking, drinking, interrupting obsession with you 24 hours a day on any phone or device. And it's all free. Just go to your friendly app store and search for Outlaw Radio. Then look for the red letters on the sign with the bullet holes in it and download it. It's free. Listen free on the road, in your car, at the beach, or in your backyard. It's all free from Outlaw Radio. This is Buddy Twist saying goodnight from Hollywood. Well, hi there. I am the legendary Pearl Bear, and this is the portion of the program where I get to browbeat you into buying all my books. Because we were talking about criminality and law enforcement and ethics, I suggest you buy Betrayal in Blue, the true story of the scandal of the NYPD. Uh, Michael Dowd and Ken Urell, Ken himself, uh, worked out a book with us, unflinchingly honest about his dishonesty. I like that. And you know, they were selling a hell of a lot of crack. <laughs> and they were worried about the cops because, well, they were the cops. Heck of a deal. Making uh, 13 grand a year being a cop, making 8 grand a week, providing protection for a Dominican drug cartel. What would you do? Yep, me too. <laughs> Buy it, read it, believe it. Betrayal in Blue. Available online from your favorite bookseller or direct from Wild Blue Press, my new friendly, fun, royalty-paying publisher. Back to True Crime Uncensored with Burl Bear and Howard Lapidus. And what about what's-his-name in the corner? No? What, what, what about what's-his-name <laughs> in the corner? We don't care about what's-his-name. That's Mark no, we, we don't. Featuring Mark C.G. Boyer. Wow, that would be... Uh, okay. That's you, and, and our guest. Uh, and our guest is Brent Turvey. Yes, it's the long-awaited, much-anticipated, and often-dreaded return of Brent Turvey to Outlaw Radio. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to get into something with, with Brent for a second. Go right ahead. And you two have a bromance. You, you are an expert at false allegations. Well, this is the thing. I have, we use this word expert. you got to be careful. Uh, someone who's an expert is someone that usually... I, either they're, they're an education by publication, training, and experience. I'm an expert by virtue of all three. I have been court qualified in this area. I've testified as an expert witness, so I can say it with a big E. But there are other people who just research the area, so they're an expert by virtue of their publications. Uh, so I am an expert, but I have done both uh, published research. I have done casework and examinations for law enforcement, casework and examinations for attorneys, criminal and civil, a lot of civil work on this area, and then also uh, by virtue of giving expert testimony in court. So, yes, I am, but across the board, which is different than, say, someone else maybe. So let me take you so to, to different. Let, let, let me, let's go into current events for a second. Sure. Each and every day. There are allegations against, right now, high-profile people, whether they're in entertainment or politics, uh, about sexual activity. And by the way, that happens all the time, irrespective, just right now we're paying attention to it. But it's, but it's high, we're high-profile. Exactly. And now with the high-profile, we obviously pay attention to it because it's a story and the news yep. gets, gets to carry it. That's I, I trust, because I don't think there's anybody on the planet that can escape it, I trust you've sort of been seeing this going on. Do yes. you see any evidence at all of false allegations in any of this? Well, that, that's kind of a really broad question, and it sort of begs a, uh, begs a visceral response. If you, even asking that kind of question, it, it makes things so political. Well, how, how do we do it this way? Let's do it this way. Is there a, if there's a specific allegation made by a specific person, 
there there are two ways of approaching it. One is we talked about, which is the administrative way, which does not have legally binding consequences, and the other way is the legal way. So when we talk about a false allegation and talk about investigating it, we have to first ask ourselves, who's making the allegation, who have they reported it to, and who's responsible for making the investigation? Let's use, we'll use a real easy one. We'll use something like uh, Louis C.K. Louis C.K. was accused of some really inappropriate uh, behavior that could potentially be criminal uh, by some by a number of women in his life. Immediately, he confessed to all of it. He immediately said he did it all. So there's no question. There's no false reporting there. That, that's not even an issue. You can't even talk about false reporting with Louis C.K. He has conceded to all of it. And th- this is the di- this is the this is kind of the difference between someone in uh, in a political position and a. Um, and in law enforcement and someone who's not. If you have a lot to lose, you are less, you're, you're going to be, and you have a lot to lose and your personality is, is, is highly egotistical, narcissistic, you're not going to concede to anything that anybody accuses you of. But if you are surrounded by people who are going to hold you accountable, you are more likely to concede, to concede to things that are true. Having said that, there are people who have said, I have been accused of something, it's not true, I'm going to fight it. People who are, and this is the thing that I have that I have uh, seen over and over again. If you make an accusation against somebody, and um, you see the first thing that happens is there's a response from them. Either they either they say they they, they did it or they didn't do it, or that's one of these things where I call it the progressive adaptation. They incrementally admit to things that can be proven, uh, and that's uh, that 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 brings us over to say like our president. Our president incrementally admits to things that can be proven by other people, and then later on he'll just say he'll just deny that he ever said it and hope nobody recorded it. And then even if it's recorded and that recording gets played over and over again, he'll just pretend like it's well, – first he'll apologize and pretend like it's not true. And that's because he's got his own mental issues he's dealing with. So depending on the case, we have to look at, we have to look at each individual case. You can't make blanket statements like, are some of them true and some are false? Well, of course that's true. But we don't know until we've done the investigation. And there's a law enforcement kind of investigation that's done, and there's an administrative one. Now, what's interesting to me let's, – let's use Al Franken because I find that case to be very interesting. He was accused of some things. And he admitted to them, but he felt that they had a different color or patina than, than his. But he also said it was, ah, some of it was inappropriate, some of it, uh, you know, I guess I remember it differently. But the reality is there's some meat here. I want an investigation done into me. I want it done right now because I think that's important. And so calling for that kind of investigation, that's, that shows a lot of inte- either a lot of integrity or a lot of cynicism in the process, believing that it will come out your way. So... Every case is different, and every case has to be handled differently. So uh, any time you have allegations that don't result in an investigation, that's a problem. I, having said that, I think the media has done, for example, a really great job of doing a police investigation that should have been done in the Roy Moore scandal. So th- there, is, there are different kinds of investigations that can be done, and sometimes the media has to do it first in order to force the law enforcement part of it. Yeah. Uh, now, we were talking a couple of weeks ago before you joined us here on this topic. Yeah. Uh, Howard and I have both uh, been on the receiving end of false allegations. Uh, of course. Replay yours for him, uh, Howard. Oh, my, mine was simple. I was. Uh, uh, I didn't find out about it for about nine or ten months. Uh, sure. I was at a, a a festival that I would go to uh, once a year, and it happened to be in the comedy business, and that it, it sort of. I can draw that back to your Louis C.K. example first, in a second. Yeah. But um, I was accused of um, being sexually inappropriate with two women that worked for this festival. It didn't happen. Didn't happen. 
And then on top of it, when they accused me of it, they wouldn't tell me who was accusing me. accusation? Yeah, I have no idea. Um, and I, I mentioned to them, and this happened to be in Canada, I mentioned to them, well, in the United States, we get to find out who is uh, accusing us of things like this. Uh, but uh, it, it, and, and I just let it go, and I just wouldn't bother going up there again because I didn't want to have it. I don't want to put myself in any kind of a situation, but it didn't happen. And what do you do when it doesn't, it never happened? That's a rough one. Yeah, it's a rough <laughs> one. I mean, I mean... This is the question, and unfortunately, how it, I'll tell you how it looks from the outside. Uh, innocent people fight it, and guilty people uh, settle. That's how it works. That's how, that's how, that, and that is the that's that coming from someone who's done these many, many, many times. I, I, here's here's how I would view it. If it was an allegation that's made and it's made publicly, you have to fight it. If you don't fight it publicly, you you're whatever. If your if your uh, your your name is your your word and your bond yeah. and your nice. reputation, you have to fight it. I've I've multiple times in my career I've been accused of false things. Uh, each time I've gone to court, and ultimately, uh, ultimately learning, getting better at it. I, I I've now been victorious with my last few rounds. Anytime anytime something has come up that's not true. I make sure that we're going to court, and I make sure that the other side understands. You want if you want to make accusations against me, we're gonna. I'm gonna. This is great. That's the greatest thing I ever heard because now I'm gonna sue you, and we're gonna. You're gonna get deposed. And if you're threatening to sue me, even better, uh, you're still gonna get deposed, and that deposition is gonna go on the record, and I'm gonna make sure everybody sees it. See, mine, I, 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 I kind of let mine go away, and it went away, I, I, and, and it was it was never made public. Sure, uh, that, and that's the difference. That's what I'm saying. If it's made public. You, I don't see how you can avoid taking it all the way through if you're being falsely accused because the, the questions will always linger. Undoubtedly, so when, when I, when, undoubtedly when, I would have done that. Undoubtedly. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if it's private, oh, then this is the other side of that. If it's a private accusation that's made in, a, in, a, in one of those, in a, in a context where you don't control anything and where it's not public, well, that's a good, to me, that's a red flag that says, okay, uh, these people don't want anything to do with me. I want to get away from them. And I want to. I want to make sure because a, a, a real allegation, a real allegation of real substance of merit, that's made public, and the police are called. A false allegation, that's done in a way to avoid the public glare and to get something mm-hmm. in return. And yeah. all, but also it might be done politically. Like uh, let's use Harvey Weinstein because he's fun. Uh, recently, it just came out from uh, Peter Jackson that Harvey Weinstein basically told him things about female actresses that wouldn't sleep with him that weren't true in order to prevent Peter Jackson from hiring them, to create a culture of things that weren't true Ooh. in order to, as retaliation for their failure to succumb to his will. And that is something that happens in every business, people bad-mouthing other people in order to prevent them from getting work. And what I would say is, I'm always happy to learn about that kind of stuff because that means that's good. I don't have to work with that person ever again. If they're making false <laughs> allegations, saying false things, I don't, even if they're doing it about somebody that I don't know, I learned that about them, and I'm done with them. I'm, right. not, I'm going somewhere else now. We're if not, they'll we're, do it about somebody else, they'll do it about you. Yeah, well, I think, exactly. with, I think with me it was done because they didn't want me to go any further in some of the business that we were getting sure. involved in, which was good business, sure. by the way. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. you got to – if you're good at what you do – you're going to find those other. You're going to find or create those opportunities for yourself 
other places. And if you go into, if even if you go, if you go into a good business opportunity with bad people, it's going to be bad. That's right. <laughs> there's no, Absolutely. There's no. So you got to. Th- I would say this: you should write them a thank you letter, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you didn't wind up at the back end of a really, really bad scandal, and you avoided all the pain and heartache that would have been caused by working with them, even if they had been on your side. Because even toxic people, when they're on your side, they're still toxic. And I can't so, tell you. I can't tell you how much that hurt. You know, to be accused, first of all, it takes your stomach, as I was listening uh, yep. to this, takes your stomach away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, didn't know about, he didn't know for, what, five months or something? Oh, nine months. I didn't know for, like, half a week. All of a sudden, I get a phone call. Burl, how could you do such a horrible thing? What are you talking about? You raped so-and-so on the floor of the radio station while she's playing the hits. I said, right. what, in three and a half minutes? And she'd be able to queue up the next record? When did this happen? <laughs> Right. And, uh, and that's the other thing is, someone who is in the public eye, uh, like myself or perhaps like you, one of the things that I have done is I, I have very specific rules about my conduct and very specific rules about what I will do, where, and when with whom. So I don't, I don't, you know, I don't uh, do, I don't uh, put myself in situations where a credible accusation could be made. It's one of the other reasons why I like living on this island. Uh, people, people want to accuse me of things all the time, but they are deprived of the opportunity because my schedule and my um, my my conduct does not allow it. And I I embrace rather than rather than uh, hiding my life uh, and and being a super private person, I embrace public uh, publicity of every kind. Uh, if anybody wants to film me doing something or record me, I don't even care. Just let's do it. Yeah. Well, of course, once you're once you're a public person, once you're a public person, you yeah. give up certain rights to yeah. privacy anyway. You know, and you and you should expect that the <laughs> yeah. are going to come out and want to exploit that as best they can. And yeah. this is the reality of the work that I do. Is I have a lot of contact with a lot of students, male and female, who are not always mentally in the best shape. And a lot of times people come to criminology and psychology because they're criminals and psychotic. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say that, but I would say they've had something bad happen to them, and emotionally they're not as healthy or stable as they could be, so therefore you don't want to put yourself in a compromising position with them. And, no ma- and there are some people that no matter who you do, you're g- they're going to turn and they're going to start stalking you. They're going to start... Oh, I had uh, one of those too. Uh, Boy, I'm in the oh, jackpot. Yeah, it, it, happens. <laughs> it happens. And you know what? You just kind of have to you have to create a life for yourself that makes it clear uh, what your boundaries are and make sure that there's no opportunity for someone to make an accusation against well, you. Well, the false. person who made the false accusation against me apologized in public two years later, but the apology never gets as far as the original. You know. No, not at all. No, no, not at all. However, what has to happen if you have, if you are somebody who's held to account, like for me, I testify in criminal in trials all the time, in court, criminal court, civil court, all the time. So real quick, real, Mark, Mark has up real fast here before we go. Thank you very much. Yes, yeah, sure. and I just want to say, I, I get held to account all the time. So if there were an allegation against me that were made that had any merit. It would have been made public a long time ago, and I'd not be able to testify. Yeah. But no. allegations. Allegations. Yeah. That's right. Brent Turvey. Right. You know, Thank you, Brent. We, we could go on for another two or three or four or five hours, Easily. but we don't have the time. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. We'll see you. We'll see you. And we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah. All right. Great. Hey, Pearl. What? Uh, what's next? I believe it's Magic Matt Allen and the Demons of Decadence. Let's party. Let's get down.